you know, that feeling of, of open-heartedness, it's the dimension that you're not doing. It's not a positive love or intentional, it's, it's the fabric. It's unconditional love, which all that means is, well, there's no conditions. And that bliss is the bliss of freedom, but the, it's also the bliss of whether you're feeling pain or neutral or pleasure, there's some relief that who I am is okay, that who I am is, can't be hurt while I'm feeling pain and can't be killed or destroyed. And then here I am in this human you know, realm playing it out, but ultimately it's okay. You know, whatever you want to call that, that's the other word besides awareness is the knowing that it's okay. Well, what knows it or the feeling or the sense all is well, that's the realization or the awake consciousness knowing itself as reality or mystery. You're listening to the Non-Duality Podcast. This is Nick Hyam from nisagayoga.com. In this episode, Colette Davy speaks with Locke Kelly. Locke is an award-winning author, licensed psychotherapist, and a recognized leader in the field of meditation and awakening. He is also the founder of the non-profit Effortless Mindfulness Institute. Locke has a new meditation online platform with daily glimpses, in-depth programs, and community support. You can access this at lockkelly.org em. So we shift from this identity of this small contracted um, sense of self and ego identity into a sort of omnipresent um, witnessing. So that provides a great degree of freedom. And a lot of people actually sort of settle there and decide, okay, that this is it, you know, they're, they're done. But what's actually eventually realized is that this actually can lead to a bypass of uh, human emotions because you're just standing as this kind of dissociated witnessing presence. And, you know, by the, by the letter, this looks right. You know, you, you're like, yes, you know, you read the teachings and you're like, yes, I'm, I'm witnessing everything that comes by and, and nothing affects me, you know, so this must be it. So I think that's very helpful to name that um, as uh, what I call the witness protection program. You know, if you're uh, you're a, a witness against uh, a, you know a, a crime <laughs> or maybe suffering, then uh, you go to this witness program, um, and it seems like it's kind of an initial awakening. You know, so in Zen they call it a kensho, or waking up. What I call waking up from, and then waking to the awareness, and then the next seems unfolding which happens by itself because it's not on one level ever anything that's happening it's all multi-dimensionally here but the awareness becomes aware of itself and then that awareness is no longer a witness as if it's um uh you know the the metaphor there with the group who stops and camps out halfway is um uh, I'm the movie screen, and everything else is a movie. 
So to me, that is two. So that awareness then uh, in uh, the Mahamudra tradition, they call the awareness aware of itself, uh, then it's aware that it's everything that is, is awareness that's self-aware. So there's no longer subject object, but it's what's called same taste or one taste. So that same taste is just everything happening by itself with no location of witness or witnessed. So, and yet sometimes the all at onceness or something or on one level or mystery on the other uh, or isness in the middle, you know, is kind of the beginning of a, a real next level of letting go uh, into you know, this natural unfolding, um, which, you know, can be divided into this kind of unfolding only because you just don't want to get stuck halfway or <laughs> and call it enlightenment or something. I was sort of, let's say, in a, in a grandiose witness position for quite some time. And then, you know, something started to open within me that was like, is there not something here that is witnessing? Is there not a witnessing presence here? Because, you know, like I said, it, it fits everything. You know, it, it seems completely to the letter non-dual, but there's a subtle, like you said, there's a subtle duality. There's a presence that's witnessing, and then there's the witnessed. And even if you go as far as to say that everything I'm witnessing is made of me, there's still an I that is witnessing. And the stuff that's made of me, which is like this, um, it's kind of like, um, it's, it's like a pseudo non-duality. And I realized that although the awareness that I had identified myself to be was sort of all permeating and vast and seemingly non-local, that actually there was still a subtle awareness body orbiting around the location of the head, actually. And... And that's exactly where um, your practice of unhooking awareness from the head and dropping it into the heart sort of came into play. You're kind of just walking around feeling like this godly presence and you're, you're feeling all powerful in your own little, you know, uh, aware, I am all true awareness bubble. And um, there's actually a drastic difference between that state and this dropping from the head. And that's a position that, is a little dissociated, you know, if we're going to use like psychological terms, it's free of the, the suffering related to being too identified. We're so identified, we're such a small self trying to seek awakening or even just make it through the day. And that movement is a beautiful pointer. And it's, uh, I think, uh, helpful for many first steps uh, waking up from uh, in Zen, they you know they say don't know mind or not knowing or no self, you know, and then pure awareness. So that some people even stop at uh, no self and don't recognize that there is an awareness that is what's a has a, a knowing quality. Uh, they just feel the absence. So that's even a half step before <laughs> the more uh, Advaita position of I am the pure awareness. 
you know, I've had many people say, I realize, uh, you know, I am not Bob. I am just the awareness. I go to the grocery store and things end up in my cart. And then I say, <laughs> oh, I say, well, do they tend to be the things that you like? Or do you, do you get like all cat food, but you have a dog? You know, like, <laughs> and they go like, what? Wait a minute. You know, <laughs> so, so it's kind of a, a you know, a, a good waking up from then waking to and then waking in and waking down and then kind of waking out of it all. You know, some of those who are more in the pure awareness, like, well, what's the difference between head and heart? And, you know, the unfolding of heart, it isn't, it isn't the emotional heart. It isn't the physical heart. It isn't the heart chakra. You know, it isn't the Dantian. It isn't, um, you know, it's, it's like a heart space or bodhicitta, awake consciousness that has its own kind of um, self-support or ground so that you don't have to be somebody who's grounded or somebody who is aware. It's just, you know, receiving and, you know, it's that which doesn't come and go and that which comes and goes, but there's a kind of an unbounded heart that just moves from a neutrality of pure awareness you know and and you can't even say love like in our normal sense of love emotional love or bliss in our normal sense of bliss it's it's a different it's more like unity or non-fear non-worry non-shame non you know but has a interdependence is what they call it in, in Buddhism, that there's no separate thing in itself. Everything's interdependent. So that means uh, it's not that there's nothing. It's on one level, there's the void, but then there's the aliveness of that you're not doing and that you're not the center of, and you're not dividing into subject and object. And yet, it then arises as a particularity in, you know, human form and chairs and plants and uh, mountains and without. So the non-dual is ultimate reality is indescribable and the relative reality is appearing and they're not two. Um, but as you say, it's not just that, oh, I am the ultimate, that I am appearing as the things. So that's the little catch, right? So this, this is a way to, um, it's a doorway to, to bring together and to let go at the same time. So um, the premise is <laughs> that um, as I invite people to unhook awareness from thinking and from that small self-center that tends to feel like it's in the middle of our heads looking out of our eyes, that I'm not talking to you, the doer. I'm not talking to you, the efforter, or to attention, or to will. I'm actually 
speaking to that awake consciousness, which is already everywhere anyhow. And so that key is that that awake consciousness has is everything. And when it comes into intentionality, it doesn't have to form as an ego or a self. It can just curiously uh, focus and do without creating a focuser. So this awareness will be invited to unhook and then decenter from the headspace and then be aware everywhere, nowhere, and here, and also focus on feeling your throat from within your throat. So I'm describing it now and then we'll guide it, but some people are already doing it. <laughs> and, then, and then awareness can drop into your body and feel as if you're aware of your body from your body and from everywhere, nowhere, and connected to everybody. And then kind of find this doorway of the heart space where you go in to the subtlest dimension of consciousness and let go completely until that opens and kind of returns. Um, so there's all at once, no thingness, and then kind of this ocean and wave uh, movement. So the invitation is just to kind of notice and feel without judging. Although if your judging part shows up, you can be aware of the judging part <laughs> of you. And then just notice the usual way of constellating consciousness as a thinker, as a listener, as a, a body and a mind, and just feel where are you aware from, where are you listening from in a normal, everyday sense. And even if you're, that's not your usual sense, just see if you can find that way that we've been trained, that constellation of consciousness, and just feel that awareness is identified or attached or what that's made of. And just without judging, just kind of be grateful for that dimension of consciousness, just letting it be as it is, and then seeing as this awake consciousness, this awareness, see if that awareness is able to unhook and step out into a more spacious dimension that's boundless, timeless, contentless, and yet alert. And then remaining as that nowhere, everywhere, notice that remaining open, you can come back and be aware of that local part of you that was the subject has now become the object in the center of your head. And then you can allow the center of knowing 
not to be from a witness consciousness and not to be from your attentional system looking down, but like an ocean and wave or like a field of light where the light, the local light is in your throat, like a bubble of awareness that drops, decenters, so you can be aware of your throat, your neck, the space, the effervescent aliveness, and the awake field of consciousness that's equally inside and out. And then feel as if that awareness can move itself without your help and just drop below your neck. So that the knowing and the known are in the same location. The subject and the object are everywhere, nowhere, and here. Not limited, not having to split off into the relative body and the ultimate contentless awareness. Just feel this mixing naturally that's already mixed. And then feel as if that awareness that's timeless and boundless can curiously go in, feel your body and then your cells and then your atoms and drop into this heart space, like moving like a living stream and then dropping into the awake space. and just let go and let be. See if you notice quality of an open-hearted presence deep within. And then just the key is that not checking with your mind or thought is there another knowing that's a not knowing that knows or feels? Like knowing you're balancing on a bicycle, just direct. Could call it sense or experiencing or without an experiencer. Or a feeling. And notice that open-heartedness is not just located within you, but is back through your body, middle of your heart space, and then all the way back. Notice that awareness can open behind you at the speed of awareness until it discovers that boundless heart, that ocean of awareness that's already awake without your help. And again, let go and let be. Like coming home. To this boundless heart that's equally all around within. Equally perceiving and not perceiving. Equally outside, inside, and neither outside nor inside. 
and as that that is beyond words, timeless, contentless, boundless, just notice that it also isn't just still, but there's dancing, emptiness, naturally arising, coming into energy, and just notice, are you aware of that movement moving through the awareness? Or does it feel like that field of nothing, emptiness is arising as not to, so that it forms into patterns like your body, your heart space, without needing to go either or, just feeling the natural open-hearted presence. And just curious, is there a witness or what is your experience when you're curiously feel, where are you aware from? Does there have to be a point of view? or a separation, or is there just a natural mystery beyond words? Instead of having to go up to thought to check, just let all information from your head come down as if by Wi-Fi into this heart space and just be available. They can remain at home in this boundless heart as a self-driving vehicle that has no need to check or take control, but just allow the spontaneous unfolding and curiosity of this heart-mind. So the key is always the transition, just noticing that if any habits or tendencies of the body-mind arise, just let them arise to this mystery and this, as this, with this, welcome, not feeling like a contraction is bad or a thought or a part of you. Just let everything be welcome without having to analyze or judge or create a point of view, or try not to create a point of view. What I found the most, let's say, uh, fundamental with that was the fact that firstly the contraction in the head sort of dissolves. Um, It's like it gains energy from projecting outward. Um, and its solidity is reinforced by sort of beaming awareness uh, from this subtle headspace. And then, and then when it dissolves, um, what actually happens is the distinction between inside the body and outside the body also dissolves because the solidity that's there is the only thing that's actually creating a, a boundary. When you're in this witness position, there's a quality of awareness that needs to be maintained. 
so to speak. It feels like an um, expanded attention. So it feels like a focus almost. Although it is vast, something is contracting and it has a, a vast attention on the, let's say, the content of experience. And um, what's interesting with that practice is that this attention quality of awareness actually ceases and just becomes, uh, let's say, an abstract alertness. And you can't even really say that it's aware anymore. You can't, it loses the quality of aware of, you know, it loses the attention or focus quality. Because this, this awareness is so easily confused with attention because we're, we're taught to put our attention on what's happening on the screen or, or be the witness of whatever's going on in the content. And so it just becomes, you know, from a small attention you start with, like let me first put attention on the body to a more expanded attention. And although this sort of, um, you could say, develops our awareness or attention muscle, um, it's, this quality of attention is actually absent um, or at least focused attention is absent when you're, you're living from an embodied, awakened place. And there's no need to sort of check in with it anymore. I remember when I was still in a more of a witness position, there was a sort of continual, um, consistent need to check, am I aware, you know, or am I this witnessing presence? And especially when triggered, you know, oh, let me become this witness so that I can just shut off to my emotions now and I don't need to um, work, like sort of operate from an egoic place. Basically, this, this attention, this willful attention to the stuff that's happening um, that requires effort at first dissolves as well in the practice, when the practice is uh, done correctly. Um, you realize that this, this space is truly effortless and it does not require a checking in. It does not require you to um, like sort of reaffirm, I am aware, or I am aware of this. It's, it's maintenance-free. Yes. So as you say, I mean, you know, so it, it's interesting to play with language and to use our uh, understanding and to, to make the distinctions from there. So as you said, uh, we know what attention is. So, you know, we use the word, uh, can you bring your attention to that object? Can you bring your consciousness? Are you conscious of it? Are you aware of it? So already we're we're mixing them all up. So if we if we do as you were starting to do, say, all right, attention is a certain capacity. Webster's dictionary says it's applying the mind to something. So it's using uh, this point of view to send a. If you're using an eyes, it's like a flashlight to an object. Then we can go to, interestingly, in psychology, at the age of uh, one and a half to three, children develop what's called self-awareness. It's not what we you know, use in spirituality, but what it is is, oh, I, I shouldn't touch that hot, hot stove. Oh, you, sh you shouldn't touch that hot stove. So our identity splits into just like a baby ah and then we no don't touch that so don't and then the understanding don't touch that so ah and that's like the we develop this secondary commentator critic judge uh position which is called self-awareness so that's happening 
in and we're always checking do i know that am i so that also becomes important to recognize what that is because that's like well am i in awareness well who are you asking you're asking your you know <laughs> called uh they also have a metacognition so so that's the second awareness the third one is mindful uh awareness so mindful awareness is a point of view that you step back and are mindful of thoughts, feelings, sensations that are coming and going, and you realize, oh, I'm not a attentional subject. I can be aware of that uh, self or ego center, and it's not even solid. It's just thoughts, feelings, sensations. But what's established is a point of view. Then you pull the camera back or become aware of choiceless awareness or big sky mind or pure awareness which is like pulling the camera back so you're still now you're not looking out from but you're looking back from the sky big sky witness uh they call king of samadhi like a bird looking back at the nest so that's where a lot of people stop and then they'll even mingle that they'll say oh but the awareness is inside and out but it's still so it's still separate from the contents. And then you can say, oh, but it's made of the contents. But there's still a point of, there's still a uh, identity around I am the awareness that's aware that the contents are me, you know. So then it's that recognizing that there's, an, that this consciousness has no point of view. It's everywhere, nowhere, and here, and it's spontaneously self-arising effortlessly and feeling that effortless um awareness that even the word awareness isn't quite right then but it's you know definitely made a distinction from attention so it's even awareness aware of awareness is kind of odd there's no subject object it's aware without needing anything to be aware it's just effortlessly mindful of nothing no contents and then you can start to include your body your psychology other people in the world and you're not as likely to be kind of acting out so a lot of the people who have spiritual teachers and others who have acted out they tend to be because they're dissociated in this first stage of awakening and there's like oh everything's a dream and it's just <laughs> relative and everyone's you know and they start to you know with they they're not they don't come back to realize there's a heart and there's respect and integrity and this there's something about the relative relational world that you can't fix it you're not supposed to save it but there's some um, relationship to it that when informed by the open-hearted awareness the other person's you how could you mistreat them you know, you just see it. You just like, oh, well, they're me. Like, look at them. You know, it's so important. You can so easily stay in this um, dissociated, sort of grandiose place, and um, we ignore our humanness. We um, we we, so to speak, transcend these worldly aspects of you know respect and honor, and. Um, we sort of rationalize it with the teachings and the mind, um, so to speak, appropriates the teachings as reasons to stay in this place and to neglect um, 
an embodied point of view. And what's interesting about, you know, as we come down from this witness or as we begin to integrate and embody is that all the things that we initially were like, no, to, like we've transcended you, decide to rise up all at once, you know? We begin to see all our shadows. We begin to see where we've sort of faulted um, on the human level. The, the values that we lack are mirrored back to us. And um, it takes a real willingness to sort of face these things because when you're in that witness position, uh, what you're actually doing is you're repressing um, or suppressing so much of the human um, aspect. That includes the trauma um, you know, childhood stuff, strong emotions, you're, you're, you're separate from them. You, you can't even truly feel um, a love or even a, a hatred, which actually sounds good. Oh, I can't feel hatred or I can't feel intense negative emotion. But like you said, um, you know, that that's not uh, the goal. You know, the goal is not to stay in um, this sort of distant place where you're just observing these strong emotions and you've rationalized you're not the feeler of them so they can be here and then they're suppressed and discarded so um as these like difficult things come up that's that's sort of when um we're kind of tested in our realization so to speak it's like okay you wanted to come down the mountain um you're gonna have to carry all this stuff down like is that okay with you now that's been my my interest is in mapping that, you know, coming down from the mountain into the body and the emotions and the trauma and into the world, into relationship and uh, activity, into the beauty of this human realm and the terror of it and the, you know, the grief of it and be in the middle of the grief when it's happening, not as a witness of it and not telling yourself it's all made of awareness, but like really just the juicy fullness of the whole thing, pleasant and unpleasant as it, as it goes in any human life. And so that, you know, some of this map I can kind of share is, is, you know, having done and interested in the psychology, the neuroscience and the awakening traditions from the beginning. Um, so, as we were just kind of focusing on the, the consciousness moving from attention and small self out to witness and then feeling that uh, equally inside and out, neither inside nor out. And then as the patterns arise, um, they're not just the other thing that people start saying, oh, they're just energy or they're just a dream or they're just a story or they're just, well, trauma is not, doesn't feel like a story. It, it it has it has a thought feeling sensation worldview and history and emotion to it so it's a it's a packet of um life form that is in your body and it's misunderstood it's been repressed it it didn't have the the care or the love or the healing or the acceptance or doesn't know its awareness yet you know so that starting to realize there's like even from the ego the ego there is no self there is no ego but there is a part of me 
that's an ego manager or an ego function that thought it was an identity, but now it's like, oh, its name is Locke and it lives in this place and it has this, you know, this key in its pocket that fits this door. So that's that's okay. And I know how to drive a car. And so the key is it becomes, oh, that's part of that's a manifestation or a part of the self. That's a persona, that's a subpersonality, that's a just like your hand is part of you, this ego function, as long as it doesn't think it's you, it doesn't need to be killed or gotten rid of or thought of as, oh, it's only an illusion, because on the relative level, it's helpful, you know, and it's, it's necessary like a hand is in a digestive system. So the, so when you feel an emotion to feel like, oh, first you get taken over, I'm sad. And then you start to realize, oh, well, that's just a thought, that's just an illusion, you can kind of make it go away, then you're dissociated. But if you let your feeling and you say like, okay, well, am I where, where am I feeling that sadness? Okay, I'm feeling it in here. So what is that? Is there a boundary to it? Yes. So is it a, it's a part of me. So there's a part of me that's sad. I'm aware that part of me is sad. So there's a, an acceptance that you're not denying sadness. So then you'd be curious. And then is there another part of me that's not sad? Yeah. Another part of me that's like, what's going on? I don't even know. And who's aware of those two parts? Oh. And then feeling that more of that, not witness, but more of the open-hearted uh, compassion. Okay, well, how do you feel toward that part that's not sad? How do you feel toward that part that's sad? Now, all of a sudden, it's not a subject-object, but it's like ocean and waves. So you realize, oh, that which is aware isn't the pure awareness. It's the awareness that now has this ocean and that's made of the sad part. So it is the sad part, but it's bigger than the sad part. So it has this love. So all of a sudden there's this, okay, I can be with sadness, terror, rage as part of me and be not with it like oh i'm smart and a spiritual ego or you know i'll you know just accept it as it is like a mindful witness but like in it and and all around it and let its history come up and let it tell its story and kind of unburden it from its loneliness and its lack of being heard and loved and starting by just let it be as it is so if it's terror or rage, it's like, okay, well, I'm really angry. Okay, I'm here. Well, nobody can take how angry I get. All right, I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, you know, one way or another, um, whether we do it before awakening or after awakening, we learn the importance of shadow work. Um, it can't be avoided. I mean, it can, but it's not going to pave the way for a fun incarnation, let's say. But, you know, and with teachings, or a lot of them, we sort of discard shadow work. We're like, you know, there's no person. Um, that, like you said, that's just a story. These are just sensations. Why should I probe them? And um, eventually, you know, the bomb drops and you're like, oh, you know, 
whatever created this uh, problem, whatever created this trauma um, needs to be met on its level. You can't meet it from this um, ivory tower. You know, you can't look down on it and and say, you know, I'm I'm aware of that and, and you just leave it there. So you, you take on a sort of pseudo person from an aware point of view and you approach it in that way to integrate. So like you said, it's like you create, you almost, um, yeah, you create another narrative um, for so, sort of in comfort of that part. That's like, you know, as the part rises up, I'm angry or I'm upset. This other part stands sort of as a, um, a spokesperson for awareness and says, oh, that's okay. You know, I can be with this. Yeah, the spokesperson actually is like a necessary, again, a kind of a, almost like a mindful witness or a smart part or a spiritual ego that then is created. But then who's mm. aware of that? And when you, when you discover the more bodhicitta, the fascinating feeling is like coming from nothing into energy, into form, into compassion, which seems like a, a character but it's like connected to unconditional love creates compassion, creates particularity. And it's just like, Oh, wow. Like that, <laughs> you know, that's the God is love, you know, kind of, all right, wait a minute. I'm not God, but am I receiving or giving <laughs> or what's going on here? Cause there's some kind of, um, you know, uh, not having to form into layers, um, coming from nothing into form that's like a breath, you know, like, whoa. And, and then it forms into what is like a, a person or a character or a kind attitude, but it's not that. It's like made of, mm-hmm. you know, this reality. It's, it's the reality that, yeah, that, you know, you can't, uh, you know, if you step on a rusty nail, you know, or you have trauma as a child, you're not going to say to the rusty nail, oh, well, that's just a thought. You know, that's just a yeah. belief. You know, that I'll just be aware of that, you know. Yeah, th- this this um, this person-like presence is like a bridge. It's a bridge from the, the contraction to what's not contracted. All it's doing is absence of resistance. So as soon as we drop the resistance via this um, bridge, um, it effortlessly sort of gets taken back into um, source and um, sort of filtered with this neutrality. So it's it's not it's like like you said it's not um, something that needs to be maintained. It's, it's if you're if you're coming into suffering with this mentality of like yeah I can sit with this yeah I can I can sit with it and sort of reaffirming again and again that's kind of another form of resistance. So it's it's kind of like a like you said you must really feel that this presence that says it's okay um, is not coming from another contracted view that's arguing with the um, the current one. Yeah, so you have like these parts of us or these subpersonalities or characters, and they can be fairly complex. They can be smart. They can be a witness. They can be an observing ego. So you know, there's a body and a, and a human form. That has that if I'm caught in that, 
I'm in, you know, I know what that is. That's called suffering. That's, and yet, you know, kind of pure witness and then human, pure witness and then human, or trying to live. But this, like, right, like, you know, the Zen saying form is emptiness, emptiness is form. So, what is that emptiness to form? That's where the, and it's called the Heart Sutra. So it's interesting. The Heart Sutra says, form is emptiness, emptiness form. Well, where's the heart? You know, like you didn't mention heart. <laughs> the, uh, the heart is the is that feeling right there. We're like, wait a minute. This is something greater than me that's like source that's coming into form, but it's me, but it's not me, but it's who I am, but it's not me. It's greater than who I am, but it's who I am, you know, like that's the mm-hmm. crazy thing. There's no mm-hmm. I in who I am, but it's like, you know, that's, mm-hmm. so that capacity to respond without creating a responder and to trust the, you know, that um, intelligence that uses our language and our particular form and is not, you know, knows when it's making, you know, can make mistakes and say things and then have to apologize and, you know, like, oops, sorry about that, you know, like, because, you know, the vehicle is not quite, you know, <laughs> tuned, tuned up very well, you know. Mm. Yeah. It's about the absence of a strong negative emotion um, and not, so implicitly, not the presence of a bliss or a, you know, breathtaking, um, ecstasy you know so um how this relates to this is that when one's in suffering you're kind of yearning for the bliss of your being to just take over um and what what actually characterizes this presence that you're speaking about this this bridge from source is um a loving neutrality and um that's also often sort of misunderstood to be, you know, an all-pervading peace or, you know, we're waiting for a, a mental concept of what we believe this should feel like to wash away our suffering as um, what we've been told will happen. And instead, it's just this very loving impartiality um, that comes that could often, you know, be overlooked because it's just like, you know that, that's not gonna that's not gonna help me. You know I need something way stronger to to uh, sort of douse this with. Yeah. You know. So that yeah, like I was the saying the the non fear, non worry. Yes, 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 yes. Non shame, and that's the neutral part. But then there's, as you say, it's unconditional love, which all that means is well, there's no conditions, and that bliss is the bliss of freedom, the bliss of, but it's also the bliss of whether you're feeling pain or neutral or pleasure, there's some relief that who I am is okay, that who I am can't be hurt while I'm feeling pain and can't be killed or destroyed. And then here I am in this human, you know, realm playing it out, you know, (laughs) like, but ultimately it's okay you know, whatever you want to call that, that's the other word besides awareness is the knowing that it's okay. Well, what knows it? 
or the feeling or the sense all is well like what is that is that a belief no is that a a normal human feeling like not well well no that's the realization or the awake consciousness knowing itself as reality or mystery you know with these these practices that that we do to sort of embody there's initially there's this feeling of like coming and the going especially when you're you're moving from this place of um, an efforted witness to an effortless mindfulness as you call it it's like oh i'm i'm out of it now or um oh now i'm back in it and and if i go do a practice now i can get myself back and um it's only from a sort of way embodied view that you see that oh even when there's there's suffering on the relative view i haven't lost myself um, so many people feel I, I'm out of it. You know, I need to get it back with a sit or um, a, a mantra or something. Again, it's about ultimate and relative views. So ultimately, there's no problem. Ultimately, nothing needs to be done. Nothing ever happened. Is it the knowing, intellectual knowing of that, that when we're in contraction or suffering, we're like, oh, we got to get back to that. Oh, it's already here. So what is it that knows it? And what is it that can return to the knowing? Because that there is, and ultimately there's no path, there's no goal, there's no seeking, there's no finding. However, in the human realm, there tends to be like something that's not just a story, like, oh, I was so confused or I was ignorant. And now the realization, I didn't realize it, but the realization dawned on itself and it now includes me. So what was that? That relatively it is a kind of awakening. You know, it's not, I don't think there's ever an enlightenment, anybody who's totally enlightened, you know, Buddha even ended up eating, you know, bad pork and dying. You know, some people say, well, he knew he was doing that. It's like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, maybe it didn't. Maybe it didn't. You know, it wasn't all going. But anyhow, so it's always unfolding. There's always awakeness. And so it's that, you know, resourcing with the, the source and then, you know, finding that which is self-sustaining, sustaining itself. So it is a, a kind of a playful curiosity. And I think the key is that where do you go to check when, when you have a spontaneous awakening, which is, oh my God, I'm contracted. And then the thought comes, no, you're not contracted. You're, you're always awakeness. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and then, then, so what a glimpse is, is like saying, all right, I can't use my mind or thought or intellect, or I've got to feel or tune in or let go or surrender. And what's doing that is the is the awake consciousness or we're, we're, you know, I don't want to get caught on any of those words, but the, that which is it returns to its primacy of sometimes what I call 51%, you know, ultimate <laughs> reality, you know, that includes the 49, you know, it's even mm. though it's a hundred, you know. Yeah. You know, the, like we said, there's, there's this, um, when we, when we're suffering, there's this bridge that, that accepts and, and dissolves resistance and then there's actually, like, I'm sure you know it, like a step further, because the, the contraction in the body is almost like 
a level below. And when we remain on the narrative, I mean, on the upper narrative, on the upper level of acceptance, it's like, okay, we can we can sustain um, the state and we can be with the contraction. But sometimes, um, like these trauma contractions are just so strong. They're so solidified in the body that they almost don't even budge with um, that, uh, even if we deal with them on that level. So it's almost like we need to come down even further and um, feel these uh, physical contractions. Otherwise, it's like we can still be resisting, kind of. We're like, okay, I'm accepting, but I'm not fully willing to go into this. And so when we go into these contractions, um, what I used to do is I used to just, I started with a practice that would probe the boundary of the contraction um, in an attempt to make space for it and sort of see these uh, this solidity as, as sort of just a compounded particles of, of distress or um, that could potentially be freed up with space. Realizing that, for example, the chest doesn't have a border um, creates this space for um, these contractions to free up. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's one of the key components is to locate it, both because when you're flooded or identified, um, it, you know, cortisol and adrenaline are, are flowing. So it, it feels like it's everywhere and it feels like it's me and it feels like it's bigger than your ego, which it is. So the reason we are pressing uh, trauma and uh, strong emotions is because even the smartest, most, most psychologically trained ego cannot bear a full, intimate, emotional human life. It can't take it. So that's why we have to wake up in order and then continue to grow up. So that locating of where, where am I aware from and what am I aware of and where is its locus, even though each time it may be different, the, the same trauma may be here, it may be my throat, it may be my belly, but where is it now? And then finding a boundary and then finding the space around it and then finding that which isn't just a psychological uh, part or spiritual ego to try to zap it with, you know, insight or pure awareness or mm -hmm. dissolve it with kundalini or anything, but to find that greatest capacity of uh, unconditional love. And then you have to work with it short-term and medium-term and long-term. you got to realize, okay, this, this is, if I zap it, it's coming back. You know, it's not. So long-term, we got to start, we got to form a relationship. So that becomes the next thing. You got to, how are you doing? I'm not talking. I'm not talking. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, but I'm here. I'm here. And I know you're scared and you're not like, You've been, you know, you've been mistreated or whatever your reason is you're not talking, but just feel, are you, I'm aware of you. Are you aware of me? You know, like you start to, you know, this could be verbal or nonverbal or, uh, but it just start that relationship to feel that it's not separate from who you are because it's trying to separate. Mm -hmm. It's contracting like a amoeba that's mm -hmm. 
hit with a little pin, its protection is to close down and you're just trying to love it up, you know, back to say that this, only this capacity of open-hearted awareness, you know, whatever you call it, no self or self with a capital S or uh, being only that has the capacity to bear what seemed to be unbearable. So that now that you are that, and that is resourced with the source, you can be with that, which is doing this, what I call shake and bake it starts to, you know, go like, ah, throwing a tantrum, whatever it's doing, but now you've located it and you found that space, which is bigger. And you found the capacity that isn't different than it it's within it but it doesn't know it yet so there's some relationship that builds until you can get it to be tell you the story and let it open up and be unburdened from whatever it's holding that feels like it can't come into the light yeah, and, and what one's also doing is um, when you do that, it's like you're you're subtly removing the subjectness of the contraction as well. Um, as soon as you observe it, um, it's like you are you're distilling its subjectivity um, with by by watching it like an object or by approaching it. Um, it's like oh, there are now two subjects. There's one that's that's sort of um, that's contracted, and another one that's liaising with the contracted view and and saying, you know, tell, you know, tell me the story, or um, are you aware of me? Um, that's also another important thing that you said that I love. It's um, taking this thing that's pretending to not be source. It's pretending to not be aware. It's like, no, you know, I, I'm completely, I don't see anything. Um, all I see is my, my view, um, and bringing it up and saying, you know, but, but you are aware of yourself are you not are you aware of me which is like bringing this thing up into the light yeah and then there's you know the certainly the wounded parts are the hard ones and then the terror and the and the the rage you know like the kill 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 you know like <laughs> the, survival, the survival part that is like ah oh, get out of here get yeah. out of here. Like, okay uh you're not <laughs> I know you're me and you can't kill me because I'm not hurtable and you're, you've been trying to help me. So that's one of the other keys is there's, there's no bad parts. So none of these are, um, you know, negative or destructive emotions. They're literally like trying to protect you. They're terrified. They're, they're, they're like, I won't let anyone near you, you know, like I, if they try that again, uh, you know, or they're like so wounded that they're like, I give up. I can't take it anymore. Uh, I, you know, I need help, you know, so they're all and even the judge and the critic from upstairs, you know, are like, you know, well, you shouldn't do that. You're doing it wrong. What's wrong? You should wake it. Well, you're not waking. Right. But it's like, oh, I see you. You're just trying to help me, but you're you think that I have to think about it. That's but so we need to unburden your your agenda is good. You love me. You want me to know something is true or not true, but you can you know semi-retire from that job of 
you know, mm-hmm. being the critic. Yeah, this is a perfect example of how, um, like we said, that bridge kind of integrates on the relative level. It's when at first, when you abide in this meditative state, you know, you first start to um, open up to this witness or whatever. Um, you feel this impartiality and um, at first the impartiality is fleeting and as soon as you're out of the set or out of the state you're you're back to being polarized or back to being biased so it's like oh, I don't want to feel this or um, I want to feel this and this part is is like you said like bad or evil and and this one is good and I want to feel this one more and as we begin to integrate um, even on the relative level the the person like the lock person or the collect person begins to see oh that these parts are not bad. Yeah, so it's this completely um, integrated, flowing thing, right from source right down to uh, the subject. So you can actually have um, a degree of this impartial, the source impartiality, without being in a dissociated place, like we spoke about earlier. So it's not as if you come down and you become fully, um, fully, you know trapped again in in what you're experiencing um which i hear often like oh no i don't want to come down i don't want to feel all that again you know <laughs> so that's called the spiritual bypass that's why they call it that so the yeah so even from impartiality i like the word yeah, either unconditional or welcoming welcoming is impartial because it says y'all y'all are welcome you know come on in you know like, <laughs> Whoever, oh, the, the bad guy, the good guy, the, you know, the the dumb guy, the smart guy is like, all right, you're welcome. You know, that feeling of, of open-heartedness, it's the dimension that you're not doing. It's not a positive love or intentional. It's, it's the fabric. So getting in touch with that fabric. And then to say that you use the word flow. So there's, in some ways, it seems what happens as things unfold for me, I started actually studying and, and recognizing, oh, this is like a flow state or being in the zone, like in sports. Like, oh my God, when I can feel someone trigger me and then they, it goes like, you know, hey, what are you doing here? And I'm like, and then, but I'm in the flow, then the flow is going to, it knows not only is it the source, that can't be hurt, but it knows I could I can take care of my physical, emotional uh, being and all my parts from this flow consciousness, which isn't small and contracted and ready for a fight or you know trying to be right or something. It it just feels like you know optimal human consciousness supported, but it's got to be supported by the infinite and the intimate dimensions this is an excellent um an analogy because it's almost identical to this awakened state of consciousness there's something that's happening with the body that's automatic you know if you're an artist that's painting you're not constantly thinking you know where am i going to put the next brush stroke or if you're a tennis player like where am i going to run to next where is he going it's just an effortless movement so the body is on a you kind of say like an autopilot, but not in a in a bad way. It's it's like the body is functioning via this muscle memory, which um, can be extended into like the metaphor can be extended into daily life where we kind of realize we're open to non doership. 
where we realize, oh, the, the body's making tea on its own. You know, I'm not claiming this action. Another aspect which um, relates so well is the fact that in flow state, time stops. There's, there's just a movement, which is exactly the experience of this awakened consciousness. There's, there's just a movement, but none of the movement indicates progression in time. That's right. Yeah, yeah. The, those qualities of the flow state that there's a being in the now or timelessness or time slows down. The description in the is there's you're out of an ego consciousness. You feel connected to everyone, like if you're, you know, playing basketball and look at the clock. You see the time, but you hear the crowd, and you you know you everything slows down. Or if you're skiing or surfing or dance even dancing for people who aren't you know athletic you know dancing or playing music or painting or even walking you know with your dog in the woods you just get into this flow and you drop out of the ego you're not using uh memory uh thought-based ego you're trusting that you're making decisions from this other operating system which is faster than thought that is an awareness so some of its muscle memory and some of it i think mm -hmm. is tapping into showing that awake consciousness is natural and it's not just a passive um sitting here with your eyes closed in the <laughs> cave it's actually when you're most active in extreme sports that, yes. that you can actually get into it yeah, it, it functions perfectly out in the world. You know, we, we're so scared to let go of control as a doer. We, we think that, you know, the absence of ourselves will lead to us just, you know, losing it completely, behaving in a crazy way or um, our habits and routines being changed because, you know, there's so little faith in this ground of being to sort of animate the body and um, take control via, like you said, some muscle memory and conditioning. But um, in other cases, just at this place of spontaneity um, and and quick response. And um, that's it's a large part of it. It's like um, this surrendering to what is to to let it animate you. You know, let it. Um, you know, and it always has been. It's it's not as if you've been doing anything. Um, all you need to really do is is take a step back and and see that you know you've never been in the driver's seat. That's right. Yeah, and and this yeah. So I think the contemporary uh, awakening uh, you know is is happening in the world in the midst of life, and that there was almost a over exaggeration of. You know, you need to sit still, you need to sit eight hours a day and look at your mind, live in a monastery, go to a cave. You need to, you know, not do the things of the world to make it easier. But now if you can glimpse the awake consciousness that is not only free of that, but embodied, interconnected, relational, and then start to like, even if you could do it for a few minutes, you're like, oh, that was cool. You know, like, <laughs> I'm getting a sense of that. And it's, and you'll, you'll see it's a bubbly, it's more fun. You know, you, you start to enjoy, enjoy everything because it's, and be playful and uh, not so serious as, you know, sub spiritual types are super mm -hmm. serious, but it's a real joy. And, and then there's that, 
natural loving kindness, which means that that heart thing that I said that's like the golden rule that you start to feel. You start to, if you don't, if you stay in witness consciousness or you don't recognize that you have a part, you can end up in a spiritual ego or like an adolescent part takes over and like, I can do anything I want. There's no rules, everything's, you know, and you don't realize that. But if you really drop into your heart, you're like, oh, this is really sweet. And you become more sensitive and tender rather than free. You just start to feel everything, but you're so supported that it's, you know, and then you see someone's emotion, you're saying, you know, how are you doing? You know, you, you, you know, everything okay? And they're like, well, you know, I didn't want to say anything, but I, you know, I'm going through this thing. It's like, okay, well, you know, so you start to really care inside, not from an ethical position, you know, like you should be mm -hmm. kind to people or you should try to practice even loving kindness, which is not a bad practice. But once you recognize this, not stopping at neutrality, but letting the sensitivity, because you have capacity to be sensitive and, uh, Kind, the kindness is natural. Um, like this, this idea that we have to abandon, you know, all worldly things and activities, um, and go go sit for days and and go to live in a monastery and so on, um, is is now being dismantled, like you said, with sort of a new wave, and it's it's in part uh, due to practices um, like yours, which is like, you know, don't don't wait for um, quiet time. Don't don't wait for your meditation session. Uh, while walking, just do a, a two minute guided meditation. And this this is so important because it's it's showing people that awakening is, can happen while you're doing whatever you're doing, while you're walking, while you're cooking, um, while you're busy stressing about tomorrow's appointment. You know. Um, and it's such a, it's so important because so many people wait, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm going to wait to start my practice when things quiet down or um, I'll awaken next year when the kids have moved out the house or. Um, if you, if you take the premise that we're caught in this small self and that self is trying to be helpful by, you know, attending to survival and, you know, checking that we're okay. So it's, it's always like trying to solve a problem. Like what's going on here? What's going on out there? Am I okay here? Are they, what are they saying out there? What do I need to do next? What it, so the inquiry, what's here now when there's no problem to solve? And to let that be understood and then to let your awareness kind of look, feel, let the problem solver rest and then feel that and then rest as that which is here when there's no problem to solve notice that you don't have to orient the thought to be alert and then be curious as this more contentless timeless awareness what's the relationship to vibration sensation, thought, your body, and the world. So is there two things going on or 
What's the view now? Daily life is so filled with problems, you know. So a very good starting point is um, is beginning this practice in the midst of a problem, whenever, you know. And it's a perfect it's a perfect practice for not having to wait for the absence of a problem to start practicing. You know, and to say to to people that, you know, you're not. Uh, some people may say like, oh well. You know, you're acting like there's no problems as if you're spiritually bypassing. But really what we're doing is we're upgrading the problem solver. So we're, <laughs> we're, we're trying to solve the problem. Einstein said you can't solve a problem on the level it was created. So mm -hmm. we're letting go of that problem solver, recognizing that which is already okay and has no problem. And now as that connect back to your unique body, mind, person, and situation, and then look at what you call the problem that you may have to do something for work or something. And then what's the new view and what's the new perspective? You know, operate now from this new operating system that is more awake, open-hearted consciousness, you know, and then you just like show up for life and take yeah. door number one and see what opens up there and then make another choice and you know go on go on about your human life bumbling along you know yeah this this messy beautiful human experience <laughs>